Welcome to the Wheel of Sports. My name's Ian McNally and this is the podcast, The Greatest Sports Stories Ever Told. And all the way in Edinburgh, Scotland, the link up with... Matt Lavery, yeah. Matt Lavery, how's it going? Yes. Yeah. How are you? Uh, no, I'm pretty well, Matt. Um, but we'll look. We'll save our catching up for another time. <laughs> Good idea. Let's crack on with the podcast. Hey, look, I've got the wheel with me. Let me get it spinning right now. Of course you have. Go on. <laughs> Go on, off it goes. Look, <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, as, as I said, I've been adding bits of tartan does, to it. It's, does it, uh, does it spin a different way Hang in on. the Northern Hemisphere? <laughs> it does. It goes backwards. Ian, this week's topic is True Grit. What? What? A debut. Hold on. The True Grit wasn't on the wheel when I left it. Yes, it I left was. you five, five you minutes, Matt. You, take, you kidnap the wheel, and then you see, you've got your... <laughs> Bloody permanent marker out and started scrolling all over it. True grit. Come on. True grit. It's, uh, actually, Look, it's, I'm going to take uh, this one. You better add. It's, um, it's actually quite a good topic, to be fair, Matt. <laughs> it, it certainly is. And this is a good story as well. So this is the story of Monica Sellers, one of tennis's most adored players, you know, a, a teenage champion known around the world, but also known... Uh, for for a really terrible incident that occurred when she was still very early in her career. She had her debut at the US Open uh, in 1989. Um, She was 15 years old. 15? 15. I mean, what what were you doing at 15? (laughs) (laughs) I was dreaming of meeting someone called Annette. (laughs) (laughs) Look, (laughs) <laughs> straight in with the terrible <laughs> um but look she she was part of a, a a new breed of player coming up there was there was a couple of other players sort of a, a bit of a changing of the guard and all these young emerging talents were coming through and she was sort of one of the standout players of that time uh, in 1990 she's 16 years old she wins the french open uh, for the first time by 1991 She's 17 and she's on fire. She wins the Australian Open and then the French Open and then the US Open. Put it this way, in 1991, she entered 16 tournaments and reached 16 finals and she won 10 of those. So she is, you know, the world number one. After winning the US Open, she uh, really cements her place as as the, the greatest player in the world at that time. And she's sort of got an unusual style at the time. She hit the ball faster. She hit it harder than probably anybody who'd gone before her. She was a ferocious player, but she also was a louder player. She she used to grunt every time she hit the ball, which back in the sort of late 80s and early 90s, that, that just wasn't seen. And obviously it's, it's perhaps a little bit different now and it's, it's more commonplace to hear that. The, the grunting of male and female tennis players. but Maybe yeah, for you was... it is, Matt. I don't know what websites you've been on. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, it is strange, actually, because, I mean, that achievement seems... It's hard to fathom because in the modern game, there has been a dominance of very physically big players. And even, I suppose, mm-hmm. before Monica Seles, there was some players who... Um, were physically large as well and could dominate. But 
Monica Sellis, I don't remember her as being particularly big. And obviously she's an adolescent when she's winning all of these. Yeah, I mean... uh, But you're saying that she's quite a tenacious... To to look at her, she's, she's tenacious, she's ferocious, but she's not maybe the most physically imposing person, but she still is able to generate just, you know, a huge amount of power. Um, and, she, and she can just get more more speed on the ball and, and yeah, just, just sort of create that power. And, and mo- mobility, um, presumably, as well. And I suppose if you're one of the first players to start the, the grunting and aggression, because I remember that at the time was quite controversial in itself because, you know, the uh, the kind of... There's a lot of stuffiness and and class war in uh, tennis it's a very late I mean it wasn't until I think 1992 when she started getting her first complaint which was at Wimbledon she got complaints from the neighbours yeah exactly Um, no from from her opponents uh, I think a couple of people actually complained to the umpires that that her grunting was distracting and and putting them off can you Um, imagine her like being at home getting a swing ball for Christmas (laughs) and it's just being a nightmare (laughs) for everyone (laughs) in in the neighbourhood well that's it yeah at 15 I was probably playing with a swing ball she's (laughs) she's at the US Open (laughs) yeah by 17 she's already won four majors by Um, 17 as I say the Australian yeah at 17 and then 1992 she comes back she defends her Australian Open so she's won that twice now she defends the French Open so she's won that twice now and she's defended the US Open so she's won that twice sorry she's won the French Open three times by now um, and she makes she, she hadn't played Wimbledon in 1991 because of an, she was suffering from shin splints. Uh, but in 1992, she she got to the final for the first time and, and got beat by Steffi Graf. From that period, January 1991 to through February 1993, she's won 22 titles, reached 33 finals out of 34 tournaments. Goodness me, 34 tournaments, 33 finals. There's, there's something. She's unstoppable. Yeah, there's something really compelling as well about a a teenage or young sports person because there's a sense like when you're in school and someone like that comes along in your generation who's within a couple of years of yourself. It's it's Ooh. so amazing because you think like, oh, that that could be me. Like there's still there's, yeah. obviously there's still part of me now that thinks, oh, that could be me. <laughs> like, you know. But the other factor in that is the potential because you think, well, if they're winning Grand Slams and they're 17, 18, what are they going to rack up by the time they're, you know, in their early 30s? You know, it gives it gives yeah, them yeah. a massive head start on everybody else because a lot of people don't mature as sports people until they've got experience that they've been around the block and they you know it's not till kind of peaking at kind of you know 27 28 years old and she's here monica sellis has got 10 years on everybody that seems it. remarkable it's, it's just it's just incredible what she was doing and you know she's she's beating everyone uh, as I say, she, she she's the world number one. She's she's unstoppable. She's starting to get by 1993. She's starting to have a bit of a rivalry with Steffi Graf, who you know you could do a, a podcast on her in her career as well. I mean, one of the most decorated tennis players of all time. 
But Steffi Graf and and Monica Sellers have met four in four finals. Monica's won three of the four. So, you know, these two emerging stars, you'd say at this time, Monica, yeah, three out of four times is 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 the stronger player and she's the world number one and everything's going great for her. This is where this the story turns and, and it becomes really sad. So it's April the 30th in 1993. She's just won the Australian Open in January, uh, which is, as I said, as I said, her third victory against Steffi Graf in, in the four finals. So she's now won the Australian Open three times and she's playing in Germany, in Hamburg, in a quarterfinal match. And this man, uh, a deranged man, runs onto the court um, during a drinks break and stabs her in the back with a boning knife. It, I mean, I've seen the footage. It's it's horrible. Um, you know, the camera just sort of pans around. This guy is he's being restrained by security and I think some fans. Monica Sellers doesn't seem to really know what's happening. She she describes that she feels a pain in her back and then there's blood and she's really confused and obviously really scared. Um, so people are running onto the court and trying to get her medical attention and the 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 player she's playing against Magdalena uh, Maiva uh, is obviously really scared as well. Nobody really can can understand what's going on. It's 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 awful. I mean, Salas gets the gets treatment treatment um, you know with with the hospital crew and she goes to hospital and it actually only takes her a few weeks to heal her physical wounds, but she ends up taking a two year break from tennis. Um, just because just of that said, event, I think that her father, like she talks about it in her biography, which is called "Getting a Grip on My Body, My Mind, and Myself," and she discusses that. Obviously, this this period, she discusses bouts of depression, and um, she has a, a binge eating disorder, which she sort of attributes to the stabbing. But also, her father was ill, and then ultimately died. Two difficult things, obviously, occurring in her life, but. She just explains it as she just she'd always wanted to play tennis because it was something she loved, and then following the the stabbing, she just didn't want to pick up the racket anymore. She just didn't want to play tennis, so instead she went and did other things that she wanted to do, and and basically just took took some time but, off. But going back to that moment where that man got onto the court, and you've also been to the Australian Open in Melbourne. And watch the watch yeah. the tennis, you know, because we're doing all right for ourselves. And it's a really interesting phase when you go from the players playing in this such high intensity, uh, com- competitive way, and then they sit down for that drinks break because it's almost like everybody is in a lull. Like the whole crowd, that's when people like change seats. Everybody's relaxes. You know, they put the rackets down and kind of build themselves up. So it's it it's a re- it is a really vulnerable time, isn't it, for the athletes that this this Definitely. man has and and I suppose even like the the ball boys and the uh, ball girls and the umpire and everything it's just slightly off guard, like not Definitely. not thinking. Yeah, I'd say you're right. Every- and so no, everyone just probably looks away because it's so intense, isn't it? When tennis is on, you can't. You can't look away for it might be two second point it might be a i don't know 20 minute point and during each point you can't look away 
as a fan, as a spec, as obviously as a spectator, as an umpire, as, as you say, uh, a judge, and then as a player, and then everybody just relaxes and nobody really is looking anywhere. And the cameras don't pick it up. The cameras, at least the footage I've seen, they don't actually pick up the guy, you know, getting onto the court or walking towards her and stabbing her. It's sort of all the cameras sort of pick it up afterwards because, you know, that what well, they obviously weren't expecting. This incident. Yeah, it seems um, a very kind of premeditated and callous attack. It's... Yeah, I mean it's 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 a crazy situation. It's it's ridiculous, really. So the guy was called Gunter Parcher. He was a Steffi Graf fan. This was sort of how it was explained away, and he was hoping that by stabbing Monica Sellers, she would be injured, and therefore Steffi Graf could be the world number one. I mean, it's completely deranged. It's 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 a nonsense. You know, it's it's just awful. But the German authorities obviously saw something in his defence that he wasn't it wasn't attempted murder. He wasn't charged with that, um, and he actually only spent uh, six months in pre-trial pre-trial detention, and then was just given a, a two years probation sentence um, with psychological treatment. I mean, after that, Monica Sellers said, well, I'm never playing in Germany ever again. She felt really frustrated by the authorities and also by, you know, the, the, the tennis authorities. They said they were going to improve security, but a lot of the players said that they didn't actually see any changes and they introduced the players facing the crowd during the break but so that they could see anybody coming towards them and the players are left going, I'm trying to have a minute's break. I don't want to be looking for invaders. To ask players to spin around like they're on The Voice or something like, to ask them to spin around, they may as well just put fluoro jackets on and say, oh, you're going to just help people change seats now, (laughs) you know, while you're on your way. Yeah, exactly. It's obscene, really, isn't it? And uh, I suppose also that event really went beyond tennis as well because it did, bring into question all of those things that you you've just mentioned the security around players i mean particularly female sports people who are you know potentially more vulnerable to well they are more vulnerable to these type of attacks it's a it's a real kind of dilemma isn't it for it's almost a societal thing as well where how do you deal with you know one crazed person do you lock down the whole sport Mm. or do you deny people or like as monica sellis has said which she won't play in germany again which is kind of irrational but you can completely understand it yeah it's a it's it's a real it's a really difficult one um i mean as i say fortunately monica's physical injuries weren't too severe and she recovered reasonably quickly um but the impact, I think, psychologically was probably heavier, um, far more traumatic. And she ended up having to take these these two years off. But in August 95, she, uh, she, she wanted to get back into it. And the World Tennis Association decided to reinstate her as world number one. Um, so Steffi Graf at this time in, in August 95 was the world number one. And Steffi Graf agreed to it. She thought it was... It was good. It was classy. There were some op, uh, objections from some of the, the lower-ranked players who their tournaments would be affected in terms of where they would qualify and, and how they'd be seeded. So it wasn't universally popular with 
um, with the tennis pros. But uh, <laughs> that's really the... interesting, isn't it? Because if, if sure, if you're Steffi Graf, you get moved from first in the world to second. Well, no, Steffi Graf would share it, so they'd both be world. Oh, okay. One. Well, that's that's even better. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But if it has, if you're like ranked fortieth, and then you get mm-hmm. moved to forty first, like, and that means you don't get, yeah, to... you don't make the cut or you don't get seeded or that's brutal. Mm. <laughs> that's really harsh. Yeah, exactly. So, so, but she did, she did come back in as world number one, and uh, her first tournament was the Canadian Open, which she won. Uh, as you know, so she sort of picked up uh, where she'd left off. And then the next tournament that she entered was the US Open. And she makes the final in straight sets. She doesn't lose a set all the way to the final. In the final, she ends up losing to Steffi Graf. But, so now, I guess, uh, it's, it's sort of 3-2 in their, in their own personal battle. You know, at this time, everyone's thinking, wow, like, Monica's back. And she's back to her best. She's just, you know, incredible. Um straight back where she was but as I'd mentioned during that two-year period she'd had some problems with um, eating and binge eating um, to I guess deal with the the sadness in her life and that had obviously affected her weight and you know there were some horrible things written about her really cruel things and jokes made by uh, the media I think particularly the British media um, really attacking her for for her weight um, no, no, notably and... sensitive to British media. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, always, always sympathetic yeah. to, uh, to 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 women and their, their their body shapes. Look, she, as I say, she's she's she made the final of the U.S. Open, and it's not long later, in January 1996, um, she wins the Australian Open. So you know, she's back. She's been back five months, and she's already winning majors again. She then, later that year, loses the US Open final to, to Steffi Graf. So she's made the final twice in the US Open final twice in a row. Again, lost to Steffi Graf twice in a row, though. And that was her last Grand Slam. Uh, sorry, her last Grand Slam final was a few years later in the French Open in 1998. And her, her last major win was, uh, was, was the Australian Open in January 96. So... When she came back, I think there was a real hope that she would return to the form that she'd had in her teenage years, um, where she was just conquering all. She just couldn't probably find that consistency. She couldn't quite get back to the incredibly high level that she she was at. I mean, she was still bloody good. <laughs> She's still uh, a, a seriously strong tennis player. I mean, in, in, in the year 2000, she, um, she won an Olympic bronze in Sydney. Just losing out in the uh, in the semi-finals to to Venus Williams, who went on to win the gold, um, and that went to all the way, you know. So she she could very well have been in that gold medal match, but her, but her career is is sort of as I said, not where it was. in In two thousand and three, she she had a, a bit of a foot injury, but she actually lost uh, in the first round for the very first time in her career uh, at the French Open, and 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 that was pretty much the the, the big well maybe the end of the end, really. Uh, and, and, and she retired sort of not, not long after. It's sad, really, because it, I guess everybody thinks of this this young girl who won eight Grand Slam titles during her teenage years. You know, she'd only entered 11 and she'd won eight of them. And people, you know, you wonder, would, would she have been better than Steffi Graf? Would she have been better than Margaret Court? Would she have 
been better than the Williams sisters, which, you know, where, where would she have been in the, in the Pantheon? I mean, she, she's an inductee into the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And, you know, she's, she's obviously still one of the, the all-time greats. But it, it, there's just a feeling of, oh, if she hadn't had that attack and she hadn't had those two years off, uh, what might have been? I suppose part of that mental trauma that happens when you have an attack like that, you you think, oh, whatever wouldn't have played in that tournament or whatever wouldn't have been there or whatever would have done X, Y, Z. And that just... But you're right, Matt. Your handiwork on the wheel, true grit, is a very good description of this because, uh, you know, uh, there's not many people who could come back from, you know, such a, a savage... Uh, attack at the such a young age as well and you know actually picking up a racket again going out on a court feeling vulnerable all of those things would be quite terrifying to to overcome and obviously you know yeah. if you tell that she had a personal issues as well it's quite extraordinary that she went on to not only medal at the Olympics, but also win another major, something that many players dream of doing just once she managed to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's extraordinary. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing. You know, I'm telling this story and I'm saying, oh, yeah, she, she wasn't quite as good as she was, but she still won <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Olympic medal and the major. It's like, yeah, uh, what, have you, what have I been doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, she, she's, she's incredible. Had she only come along... Yeah, afterwards after the attack, that would have had, been, had her career started at, you know <laughs> that point. yeah exactly in 93 amazing then. but i i yeah. also believe that um you described her as you know the, a young girl who comes into the scene like she she must feel still like a young girl because i believe her husband is 32 years older than her yeah that's is right he, that's, like, that's <laughs> A businessman, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he's he's worth bi- billions of dollars or something. Like, what attracted you to multi-billionaire Tom, Tom Gonsalisano? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'd say she's probably got a few bob to, to rub together herself. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think she uh, she won, what was it, in excess of $14 million in prize money. But what a great champion. And, and kind of a... Was she Yugoslavian? Was she... She competed yeah, she was, for that's Yugoslavia. Correct. Yeah, she was. She, she um, but she, 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 she also uh, competed for America as well. So she got American citizenship. I'm not sure which year, but yeah, later in her life, and she actually uh, helped them win the the what's it called the Fed Cup or something. Because obviously Yugoslavia disbanded as a country, so I presume at that point, then your you know if you don't have a if your nation state no longer exists, then you can legitimately jump over to to another country and maybe yeah i don't know how it yeah. works but yeah she's um yeah so she did she competed for yugoslavia and for america yeah but you think that in itself would be quite traumatic as well like you're you're mm. in scotland how's brexit going <laughs> <laughs> yeah traumatic enough let's avoid the politics <laughs> <laughs> that was a great story matt monica sellis true you. grit a new addition, maybe not a new addition to the wheel, something I've obviously overlooked. And now that I'm 10,000 miles away, I can't, I can't check. I, I, I regret making the wheel out of um, whiteboard uh, material. <laughs> so so the topics should just be rubbed off at will. 
<laughs> so thanks for listening to the wheel of sports the greatest sports stories ever told you can get in touch with us on twitter uh, at the wheel of sports or instagram at the wheel of sports or send us an email the wheel of sport at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and please do the nice thing be kind to matt and i and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast and we'll see you next time for the greatest sports stories ever told thanks matt thanks ian enjoy the summer say, say goodbye to everyone in scotland <laughs> bye bye